Misread is a book podcast where we review books, discuss topics, and provide social commentary on what's happening today. Welcome back to a new episode of Miss Red Podcast. My name is Cassie. I am Jolene. And we are back. We're finally back after a really long winter break, spring yes. break. And we're very excited to be here. Absolutely. Cannot wait for you guys to hear what we've got in store for our spring season. Yes. And a lot has been going on since the beginning of the year. Absolutely. A lot of good things, a lot of bad things. Yes. So we're excited. I'm excited for the list of books that we're about to dive into yes and uh we're gonna take first dibs into queenie the much talked about the much buzzed about big anticipated mm-hmm. spring release yes queenie by candace cardi williams yeah it was a it was a read man oh we're gonna get into that <laughs> queenie is unlike you know what the description they say that it was a modern day bridget jones okay. diary type of thing I didn't really feel Bridget Jones' diary. I did not. Not It's at a bit all. young for Bridget Jones' diary, to be honest. And completely different. The only yeah. thing they have in common is they're both British. Right. But that's it. And they're heavy set. Yes. Yes. They talk about body a lot. They do talk about body a lot. But yeah. I just feel like Bridget Jones' diary isn't the only piece of work on it. Like, you know, on a mm-hmm. female that's heavier set that talks about you know, her body and embracing it, so... Yeah. Or the struggles that come with it, so I don't... I don't know, I did not think Bridget Jones at all. No, I didn't see the connection, um, but just for the listeners out there, we'll give you a brief um, synopsis of the plot. So, Queenie Jenkins is a 25-year-old Jamaican-British woman living in London, straddling two cultures and slotting neatly into neither of them. She works for a newspaper um, and where she's constantly forced to compare herself to her white middle-class peers. And after a messy breakup from her long-term white boyfriend, Queenie seeks comfort in all the wrong places. So, basically, the book takes us on her journey from her breakup to uh, self-love, um, liberation, liberation, yeah, self-care, self-care, Care. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you see, like, I'm just gonna say this. <laughs> get it out. I'm just gonna get it out. I just want to be like, you know, just be transparent. Even that description, it's like once you read the book, it even in a way like rubs you the wrong way because, okay, like in the description you're mentioning. You know, she works for a newspaper where she's constantly compared to, like, you know, her white peers. But she was also a terrible co-worker. Girl. Like, she was a terrible co-worker. Queenie, I felt, when I finished the book, I felt, like, shaking her. Yes. And I felt, like, hugging her. Yes. Like, not even when I finished the book. I remember the first time I read it, halfway through, I was, like, I threw the book, book out. I was, like, I'm done. This girl is impossible. What is she doing? Remember when I hit you up and I was, like, yeah, I can't. I can't. I was, like. I've never seen. <laughs> chapter one. I've never seen one person go through so so much heartache, so much trouble that at one point I was like, I don't think it's even possible for one person. <laughs> and then after that, I read that the author basically took like examples of people okay. all around her and mashed it into, into one yeah. person. And it felt like that because we're going to get into it. But the thing with the co-worker, like when it went you right, know, really right. bad, I was like, who, 
what? How? She already went through so much and now she's going through this and yes. it's all a bunch of lies. How is she going to handle this? She doesn't have a job anymore. I felt for her, but at the same time, like I said, I wanted to shake her. I wanted to hug her. Um, but I, I get it. I get the story in the sense that I'm sure every woman can see a part of herself. Like I said, a, right. a little, little part because the self-sabotage was real. Real. But I definitely like the second half of the book where she... She comes into herself and her senses and absolutely, I agree with Yeah. That. I don't know if this is a reach, but it almost reminded me of this like weird like parallel um, with even Coldest Winter Ever, but mm-hmm. not such a street version. Mm-hmm. Like, the more, like, professional woman, you know what I mean, kind of version of the coldest winter ever. Just yeah. in the sense of the character, like, self-sabotaging, but trying to make it to the top. Trying mm-hmm. to find the love in the wrong places. Like, true, something about Queenie and Winter were giving me some sort of vibes. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you read both books, they're very different in a oh, way yeah. as well. But I don't know, I was, I was drawing some type of correlation. I don't know if that... But I can see the, the yeah. self-sabotage part. For sure. Right? For sure. Because Winter did know better. She just chose... She was very stubborn. Right. And same thing with Queenie. Queenie did know better, but she just wanted to punish herself over Constantly. and over again. Yeah. Right? I think one of the main theme here is interracial dating. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So Queenie went through a very traumatic experience as a child uh, growing up with her mm. stepdad. Yeah. And uh, as a result, she basically she chooses to exclusively date white men. Mm-hmm. What I find funny was that all the guys she dated except her boyfriend were trash. Yes. The guy that's called Guy. Yeah, the Welshman. The yeah. Welshman. Yeah. Ted, yeah. the co-worker, yeah. and then everybody yeah. else in between yeah. that that came along. None of them were, they were all trash. I felt like in a way, yes, she chose them, but I felt like they could possibly just be as traumatic as, or maybe I can't compare the two because I don't want to downplay her trauma. But when it is revealed later on the reason why she chooses exclusively white men, I was, well, how did you feel about it? I actually, I actually liked the fact that the the book, um, was transparent about the way that these men treated her. Because it showed that it wasn't really a race thing. Like, running from dating, you know, a black man because your first experience with trauma is with a black man doesn't mean that other men won't still, you know, add to your trauma or create new trauma for you. Yeah. So I like that about the book because, for me, if, you know, at the end of it, it was kind of like, that's not how you get over trauma. It's 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 a self-love thing that you have to be able to overcome in order to choose the right partner, no matter what he looks like. Yeah. So I actually thought that Queenie going through this experience would actually have more of an epiphany moment that, ah, it's not about the race of men because, mm-hmm. look, I am still choosing those men. So my right. trauma is alive and well, and I'm literally attracting and reflecting my trauma but True. I'm thinking that I'm getting away from it with the fact that this man that I'm with is white. Mm-hmm. But that's really not the case. Mm-hmm. So it shows that, um, you know, when we do go through traumatic experiences and we harbor these feelings and they are things that are within our energy and we attract them, you're going to attract them regardless if yeah. you're not actually dealing with the root of the issue. Mm-hmm. And blackness was never a part of the issue. No. It was just abuse. And maybe she was reliving the trauma mm-hmm. that she had lived when she was younger because... 
the man from her past was very abusive, mm-hmm. a different kind of abusive, yes. yeah. whereas in, and she didn't have control over it because she was a child, whereas now as an adult, she chose men. I'm not saying that the men were abusive to her because I don't think the men went into her right. being like, I'm going to abuse her, but she still allowed them to treat her a certain way that was dangerous to her body. The, the lack of, of respect that the men had for her ended up being abusive in itself. Yeah. Mentally abusive in itself for her. For her. Um so yeah, like it 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 was really it was really hard to like listen. I was I was doing the audiobook and it was really hard to listen to a lot of the stories about her like, you know, sexual encounters because it was like this weird space between rape in some of them, but then consensual but it rape. It, like, you know, is that a it thing? Wasn't, like, that's the thing. It's, it not, it's not rape. It's not <clears throat> rape. But it's almost like a form of sexual abuse, but not. That she subjected yeah. herself to. Because, and I felt like she was, she didn't feel like she was worthy of love. She no. didn't feel like she, she deserved anybody to treat her well. She, maybe deep down she felt like, well, no man has ever treated me right anyway. Right. So why should why would this be new? Why should this be different? You know what? I'm just going to go from worse to worse to worse. And also it's a reflection of how she felt. Yeah. Um, it started with her old neighbor. Yeah. And um, one thing I found really funny is that her old neighbor made racial jokes. Well, he was a minority himself. All the men she dated referred to her body. Always. Very overly sexualized. Um, imaging of like mm-hmm. the black woman's body yeah. and her rear end and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I find it funny because Queenie was very against that. I think Tom made a comment. She was texting Tom when they were still dating, and she's like, "You know, I've been thinking about it, and you haven't introduced me to your coworkers." And he was like, "Yeah, so like they're they don't matter to me. So like it's not important." She was like, "Well, yes, it's very important. I'm part of your life. You know, is it because I'm black?" <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> how, how do you... Where did you get... How did you get there? How do you get from... And like, she's so conscious of her being black. Yeah. And yet you choose to be with white men. Well, you know there's always going to be some type of chance or possibility that there will be racism or prejudice or stereotypes or fetishes absolutely you still choose to put yourself over and over again in those positions and yet it's the first thing in your mind yeah if something goes left or even before anything happens right i thought that was funny and it's a lot of ignorance too um i think sometimes when you know in interracial relationships like the ones that queenie had with some of these men Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that they would say it was just a matter of like very ignorant comment and them actually really not cluing in or ever being called out to have to be clued in on we don't say that or that's not okay or no black people don't do this or you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it was a lot of like assuming that these are the kind of things that are okay because in society this is how we talk about black bodies or a black woman's body for instance and it just became acceptable Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like Queenie checked a lot of those guys on that she checked the last guy. And that was about it. And that's when she... Was coming she into goes, herself. Exactly. Yeah. After she goes to therapy, that's when... So, what do you think about that idea, though, of, of uh, dating white men or a man outside of your race and being sexualized? Because that, that is actually, like, a fear of mine. Is the idea of... And I, I don't... Being a think, fantasy? Yeah. Like, and I don't think that's just, like, 
for black women. I think it's for anybody dating, you know, something that they that they're not, you know, necessarily someone deemed exotic, exotic yeah. quote unquote, which mm-hmm. the word I hate. But anyways, um, yeah, like I think a lot of people might have those concerns. Like I, for instance, I have a sure. few friends that are, you know not black women, mm-hmm. um, and even when black men seem to, you know, really be into them but don't like black women, it raises red flags for them. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. just like, you know, if I was to talk to a white guy and he had this overt, like, thing with black women, it would, I don't know how I would feel about that. Mm-hmm. Like, do you like me for me or is this just yeah. a thing? But then you also run into the whole, is that just a person, preference, uh, sorry, preference. person's preference? And then... But then I have so many opinions on this whole thing, so I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't get into that. Okay, it's a good question. Like, if if ever, like in the dating scene, would I be? Would that be in the back of my mind, or is he? Is this white guy or this non-black man approaching me out of genuine interest or out of a fetish or fantasy that he's had uh, for a really long time? I've never really come across that, but I know it happens time and time and time again. So I, I personally, I don't know. I don't know. Am mm-hmm. I scared? No, I'm not scared. Because I feel like these things come out very early. Absolutely. I, from first conversation, you they'll can make a comment. Absolutely. So you, you can be like, all right, bye. Or Absolutely. you can be like, I don't know, I'm into it. I don't know, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, so... It's never gone far where I felt in, like an object of desire right. or so, like, you know? And, you know, I've never been in a relationship with, um, you know, anyone outside of my race. Mm-hmm. But I have gone, you know, had conversations or, yeah. like, you know, spoken to guys. And I've actually had some really awful experiences. No way. And some, you know, normal experiences. Like, I've had, you know, I've spoken to a white guy before and... It just kind of died down just because, just like anyone else, it would just die down. Like, you're just not interested. But I actually had once, I was at an event, and, you know, this white guy had approached me. And this was, like, a long time ago. And a few of my friends at the time were like, be open, like, whatever. And I was like, okay. And literally the first text message he ever sent me was something sexual. Okay. And I was like, yeah, okay, I know where this is going. And the moment I shut it down... Mm -hmm. It was almost like he couldn't handle that he was getting shut down, period. But then on top of that, I'm a black woman and he's a white man. And I should be almost like lucky and thankful. And Cass, if I ever read you the barrage of text messages that came when I, you know, kind of rejected his advances about, you know, well, you know, it was just about your body anyways. He said that? Absolutely. I literally sent the text message because my sister, she's currently in a relationship with a white guy and she dates white men. So we talk about these things all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was always telling her my concerns because, okay, so I have this theory, right? Oh my gosh. I'm going to (laughs) be, oh my God, you guys. If anyone's listening, just let me know your opinion. Y'all don't come for me. I'm just being honest Mm -hmm. that there's like acceptable black woman for white men, right? So, like, my sister, she's lighter. She's very petite, very, very slim. Like, she's the kind of black woman that I feel like is safe for a lot of white men. Like, she's black, Mm -hmm. but she's not overtly, like, in your face, like, with dreads down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, things that you would naturally kind of associate with a black woman. My sister, in a way, is passing, Oh, yeah? She's that light? Not that light that she's passing. I just mean in terms of, like, her physique, her, her physique and things okay. like that, you know. Okay. 
um, opposed to me, I'm the curvier sister, mm-hmm. you know, my my demeanor, what I'm into, things like that. Like, when you talk to me, it's very clear the kind of, you know, topics I want to talk about. Okay. And my blackness is going to always be in your face for the most part. Yeah. Um, and I usually feel like, well, because of that, my sister might get approached by white men that are genuinely just interested in who she is. Obviously, they can see she's black. But for someone like myself, if you are really interested in me, I'm thinking, as a white man for you to be interested in a woman with a very round bottom or like, you know, mm-hmm. certain things, it, it, it triggers this like, I don't know if you'd really like me. Okay. So we talk about these things. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I not a fetish? Like, I can get why my sister's not a fetish, but I feel like I would be a fetish. Like, certain black women are a fetish while others aren't. I don't know why. That's probably not accurate. It's just my experience, right? <laughs> you're not You're not totally wrong. Right. I, I agree to some extent. I agree to some extent. Um... <laughs> okay, so weirdest thing I have I've I've experienced with white guys is that a long time ago when I was like early 20s, I cut all my hair. I didn't shave my hair. Mm. I just cut all my relaxant. So I had like cropped afro hair. Girl, only white men would approach me. Shut up. Only white, like men, they would give me smiles, wings, hello, can we talk, can we go for coffee? And I was really puzzled because I was like, why? Why Why this sudden interest? And um, a couple years later, I find now that it's it doesn't happen as much, I feel like it's pretty much balanced, non-black and right, black right. men who approach me. It's pretty much on the same wavelength. But I find that the blacker you look, like the darker your skin, the coarser your hair, whether it's in a fro or whether in slocks, I feel like white men love that shit. And that's my thing. That to me is like, why? Is that a fetish? I don't think it's a, it's a fetish. Maybe for some it is, but sometimes I feel like, I guess because you seem to emulate true black beauty at its most natural, right? Like you wear your hair naturally, You whether it's your fro, whether it's your locks. A lot of them are attracted to, like, very dark-skinned women. So there's no question about, is she mixed, is she not mixed? Um, Your features are black. You you look like a black woman. You know, no questions asked. And I don't know if it's it's coming from a finish or if it's it's coming from, like, a a genuine place. But, like, I don't know if you watch the show Queen Sugar. Absolutely. So the sister with the locks, she mainly dates. Yeah. white men and she's very pro-black and she's yeah. very pro-black she's she's very opinionated she's very strong right and the one relationship i mean i'm not fully caught up but like the one relationship she had with the black men ah, yeah. it was done in like five minutes and he was a very strong black man though and he was pushing her to certain heights so, yeah and she didn't like she that she didn't like that whereas the cop was married and that was acceptable because you and it's not just black women like i even pose this question um, with a lot of my Asian female friends mm-hmm. that date a lot of white men. Because I find that a lot of white men date a lot of Asian women too. Yeah. And then sometimes I I think too, like, is that a fetish? Is that, is, is it because you feel like they're exotic? Like, I don't... I think in a way, it's all part... I think there are people who are out there out of a fetish, out of a fantasy, and there are people who are curious. I've never had sex with a, somebody... That doesn't look like me, so let me try it. Hey, want to see what it is? Right. And there are people who are genuinely interested in who you are as a person. It just happens that they were attracted to you and you look the way that you look. Right. You know? I think there's a broad spectrum and you just have to be able to discern and filter 
and decide what's for you. Absolutely. I have a friend who recently, and you know, she's she has dreadlocks and everything, and a man came up to her, like a white dude, and she was like, I've never been with a white dude. And she's truly never been with a white dude. Never kissed a white guy, never been on a date with a white guy, nada. So she was like, I've never been with a white dude. I don't know, I don't know. And she was like, curious. It's like fun, exciting. Do I want this? Do I not want this? I don't know. And the guy, it was the same thing for him. He was like, I've never been with with a black girl. I don't know. Is it cool? Is it not cool? I don't know what to expect, right? So based off of that, they clicked. So how did they meet? They met they met randomly. I'm not sure where they met, but they okay. it was very like maybe casual. Like, very casual. See, and so here's my thing. Like for me personally, mm-hmm. I feel like if I was like, say, I don't know, in a setting where like say I say I was in like a class and I see this person like every day and we get to know each other and we both started liking each other, to me that would be genuine. Because mm-hmm. he also likes me for like who I am. Right. But I'm more questioning the men that would just like approach me off the street because i just yeah because i just i don't know i just don't Mm, i i don't fully agree with that i i understand but my experience has been really bad yeah yeah you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i went on a date once with a with a white guy and Mm -hmm. the first date he was like i get it he was probably maybe a little bit nervous but like we were ordering food and he was just like, I bet you'll have the chicken. Ha ha ha. And uh, I'm just shut like, up. okay. <laughs> and then he'll be like, yeah, you know, I like hot chocolate. Like, oh my God. Okay. And it was just really corny. Like, so yeah, you're mad. Corny. You know what? There's probably a billion white guys out there that genuinely like black women. It's not a fetish thing or over sexualizing. Yeah. I just happen to the ones in my past that have ever come across me. It's always been about my body yeah. or like, my blackness and it's turned me off mm-hmm. um but in my experience yeah i don't yeah. know maybe i'm a little jaded no it's been yeah. your experience so it is what it is the couple of white guys i've been on a date with it was never brought up wow yeah it was never brought up so i, I you know that's odd that's really good to the point where i remember i went out we went out to eat i went out to eat with this guy and we were walking on queen street and basically you know it happens with everybody black or white like you talk to them so much that you kind of forget what they look like you're just talking to their personality right right like you guys are just connecting like this on so many other points so i kind of forgot i didn't forget (laughs) but i kind of forgot i was walking with a white dude for me i was walking with let's say robert i'm I'm with robert and that's just what it is right and i noticed a lot of people were staring and i was like "Mm, is it me is it my you know my coat 30 something in my hair and then I realized, oh, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that, that's why they were staring, right? right. But it, but until that moment that we went outside and people stared at us in 2018, 2017, whenever, wherever that happened, between me and the guy, it, it was never brought up. That's interesting. And I have a friend, too, who's I've been friends with him since I'm 15. And he's white, white dude. He grew up with all types of ethnicities. He, okay. he dated all types of girls. It's never brought up, you know? So, again... You you meet people and from the first conversation you'll know if it's gonna be an issue. Is he gonna make a corny comment? Exactly. Is he gonna make a sexual comment? Or is he just not gonna say shit and just talk to you right. like, hey, what do you like? This is what you know, this is what I'm into. What are you into? You know? And right, then right. but at the end of the day, I feel like like especially like with Queenie, she liked Tom, Tom liked her. Yeah, that was a that was genuine. But they did run into problems because a lot of he couldn't problems. understand 
um, where she was coming from. And his family was horrible. His family was horrible, but what's worse than his family being horrible is that he couldn't get it. I think he like, got it. He just refused to stand up for her. her. Yeah, like, he just made it seem like she was being overly sensitive. Or you just know that's how people are. And it's like, well, no, that's, that's not, not how, how people, people should are. be. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you need to check them. And, and I think I think she was right in, in terms of being concerned about that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I would be very concerned with having children. Absolutely. If I knew that my significant other's family was that racist. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think being racist is uh, lynching somebody. Yeah, I feel like it has to be very extreme violent, and violent. very abusive. Um, it's not. It's very in your subtle. words, you can be very, very racist. Your your actions will follow. Absolutely. You'll make you make dumb comments about my appearance. You will make dumb comments about my child. So like, I don't play with that. I really don't play with that. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. So I I was I totally understand where Queenie was coming from, and I felt like Tom in that situation was just obviously was uncomfortable. But I thought at the end of the day. You're going to leave your family to be with the woman you choose. Therefore, you must stand up for her now. But he never did. And also, let's remember, Tom in general was a very passive, uh, not direct, kind of a wimpy-ish kind of a guy. Because even with their quote-unquote break, he could have just directly told her, this is a breakup and I'm moving on. True. And instead, he said, yeah, like he kind of played the word game to kind of like half in half out like I don't really want to hurt your feelings mm-hmm. because I can't take the repercussions yeah and kind of led her on in a weird way yeah I know as a reader and as a woman when I read that the first thing I thought was okay you guys are broken up I could tell that you know what I mean and and I felt like Queenie was a little bit silly to be a so naive bit. oh my god <laughs> to be so naive she was hanging on to Tom till the last page eh? to, yeah like up until the last moment yes. you know what I mean but it's like at the same time, too, he could have been way more transparent. Yes. Um, and he wasn't. And to me, he was he he was just... Mm-hmm. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. He was a bit forgettable, too. Absolutely. Friendship is a big theme oh on that gosh. book. It's one of my favorite things about the book. Mm. The way that the author gave authentic voices to each one of her friends. Yes. Whether it was Cheske, whether it was Darcy or Cassandra. Yeah. And... They were true to themselves. Absolutely. And they were so supportive of her. They loved her. Um, and they were not afraid to put her back in her place. They were not afraid to tell her the truth, but always with love. And I love that about them. They were like, we're not going to take no shit from you. We love you. But girl, do Queenie, better. enough. Yes, do better. But what do you think about Darcy? I love Darcy. Cassandra was oh, the Oh, sorry, problem. Cassandra. That's, that's what I meant to ask about. Cassandra. Yeah. I don't even know why she gave her that name. I was vexed. High-key vexed. Girl, that's but. you. That's me. <laughs> like, you know what? I was reading it. I'm like, because it's just not even my name, so I'm not even taking events to it. Whatever. Do you think she was a hater? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that Queenie is a very frustrating friend to have, but then I think you also can't be a pretentious, you know, person like Cassandra and have a friend like Queenie. There's going to be some sort of a clash. Why like, did why did Queenie insist on having her a part of her life? I think because she needed validation and I think Queenie put her on a pedestal. I think that's the truth. I think in the book it talks a lot about the fact that, you know, and it is true, Cassandra is very pretentious and she does kind of, you know, sit on a high horse. Mm-hmm. But that only bothers you or you only see it that way if you see that person that way as well. 
So when Queenie talked about that a lot to me, that was a reflection of her insecurity and the fact that she actually did see Cassandra as someone who was almost better than her and maybe she felt like she was lucky to be her friend or to have a friend like that. Okay. Because even when they were going through the whole drama with the Welsh guy and you could see that for a while, Queenie wasn't even trying to like back herself up. Like she was almost giving into the fact that like Cassandra was as upset as she was Mm -hmm. like during the whole entire like, you know, ordeal when it was going on. And I was like, why aren't you more like, like standing up for yourself more against her? I think she did stand up for herself. I just think Cassandra's voice was much louder. Louder. Cassandra was very curt. She was very dry. She was cruel. She was intentionally mean. She was out Mm -hmm. there to demean Queenie. With that situation, or you feel like in general as a friend? I think in general, she was she's a demeaning person in general. Right. Point blank, period. Because you can be dry, you can be sarcastic, and then there's... Even in the, in the group chat, she was saying slight things to Cheske, and Cheske was like... Not having it. Queenie, you better check quick. your friend, you know? So she, I think naturally, Cassandra is... I think she definitely is a very insecure person, because it makes no sense that a person comfortable in her skin would take so much pleasure... In putting down others others all the time. Like one time, I get it, you guys have a fight, but it was constantly putting Queenie down versus Darcy, who was like, okay, Queenie, like you have a job. Do your, get it together. You have responsibility, do them. I love you, but I'm not going to enable you. Yeah. The other girl was just like, I'm going to stomp on you all the time, you know? So I was... Because even in in the story, when you hear conversations just between Queenie and Cassandra... When Cassandra's talking about, like, her love life, for instance, and these men that respect her, and she makes these little comments. Yeah. Queenie's response to that is almost as if she's like, wow, like, look at what you can have while I can't even get a guy to text me back. Mm -hmm. So I felt like those two personalities don't make for good friends. Mm -mm. Because I'm here, I am Queenie. I'm going to allow this because I actually put you on that pedestal. And here I am, you know, Cassandra. I'm really insecure, but I put myself on a pedestal as a defense mechanism. Right. And my friend allows me to do that so I can continue to shit on her. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get this back and forth until it just blows up. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, I don't know. How did you feel about her even being upset when they found out when she found out she was sleeping with her, her queenie was sleeping with her boyfriend? I think Cassandra reacted like a lot of women do. Yeah, sad truth. A lot of women react Absolutely. like that. It's just she took it way too far by moving in with him, like <laughs> to another city. Like she, oh my god, she took it too yes. far. But she reacted like a lot of women do, and she decided to put all of her frustration onto Queenie, where that's your man. You're the one. That's the body that you sleep with every night. Not Queenie. He's been lying to you the whole time. Queenie didn't know it was unintentional. And if anything, technically, Cassandra was a side chick because I'm pretty sure Queenie, they even mentioned if you add up the dates, was actually talking to him before Before Cassandra even had mentioned him or even, you know, probably met him. Yeah, but I don't think she was a side chick because the guy was very adamant about, girl, I'm only here for you, Punani. That's true. That's it. And then he told her, sex with Cassandra is very bland. Yeah. And Cassandra was complaining all the time that they weren't having sex. It was very messy. It was very it messy. Was, it was a very messy story. So, yeah, Jeez. Cassandra, I, I don't like her, and uh, I hope for Queenie that they, they stop talking. <laughs> she And I didn't like, too, that out of all of her friends, Cassandra was the one that was always helping her financially. Because I felt oh, like that also thing. held mm-hmm. a little, you know, thing over her head. Of course. You know, and mm-hmm. even when she would make that comment about, like, having her money, and it was just like, 
finances and friendship are, is a very weird oh, yeah. space. It's very touchy, but very touchy. It, maybe maybe also, Queenie, it was part of the whole self-sabotage thing. Maybe yeah. it reinforced in Queenie the fact that she wasn't worthy enough, that she wasn't successful, that she would never accomplish what she set out to accomplish. Oh, here I am borrowing money from my friend again and doing it again and again. So maybe for her, it was another way of harming herself mm. you know just to reinforce her conviction that she she wasn't worthy of anything yeah i don't know but you know and um she relied a lot on her friends and we know that she was seeking a lot of validation do you think that she relied so much on a friend because she didn't have a relationship with her mother i think so uh her family unit isn't very close um and a part of that i think too is because the family members that she does have the most contact with are generations apart, you right. know, to her grandmother. Mm-hmm. So that's not someone you can just talk to. And then she has an aunt who's, you know, very Christian and thinks, you know, a certain way. Yeah. And then her next cousin is like 16. Mm-hmm. So in her family unit, you know, she doesn't have her mother. Yeah. There's no one really there for her to talk to. So to guide the her. next best thing is like, you know, your friends. Right. Just to take it away from you mentioning her grandmother Another concept that's big on the book is the concept of suffering. Mm. And you know how the grandmother was like, you're suffering? Do you know what suffering is? Do you know what I had to go through yes. back when I was a youth? You know, I had your 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 aunt when I was 14. The battle and then, of the struggles. Yes. <laughs> and so by saying that, she was basically belittling or diminishing Queenie's Queenie, suffering. Absolutely. That was very tangible but she was like kind of brushing it off yeah and then what did you think when finally queenie was like okay i'm gonna get help what did you think of her grandmother's reaction i thought that was a very real reaction um older i actually wouldn't even say just older but you know the black community in general um especially like you know caribbean and african households like you're kind of taught when you grow up like you don't tell people your business it's just like they're they're just thinking there's no such thing as mental illness. Oh, yeah. There's no such thing as depression, anxiety. Like everyone goes through everything. You you young kids nowadays don't know anything about you know struggle and blah blah blah. And it's constantly looked down upon that you know you're gonna go and talk to somebody and this person's gonna tell you what to do. And it's it's really not like that at all. Mm-hmm. So the grandma's reaction to me was actually very, very typical real. and very real. Yeah. What about so. the grandfather's reaction? The grandfather's reaction. He was he, he was, was the one that was like, let her go. Stop yeah, your that's nonsense. Surprising. That's I didn't I didn't remember that. That's actually surprising. Though. Yeah, he was the one that was that was supportive of um the decision. When I was thinking about that, like you said, in the black community as a whole, Caribbean, African, Afro American, mm-hmm. it is something that is still being shunned upon. Like people look down on it, they don't think it's acceptable. I was asking myself, is it because, because a lot of them, they say, you know, you're, you're stronger than that. Strength, strength, mm. strength, strength. Black people have gone through so much. You can't handle that. You can't handle a breakup. Mm. So I was thinking, do we buy into our own stereotype? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we've been told that we're so strong that the black woman, black, strong woman, you know, that stereotype is so overwhelming. Don't no, get me started on that stereotype. I told myself I was going to write an essay one day. On the myth of the strong black oh, woman. Oh, yes. Strong myth. It is strong a myth. myth. Yeah. And people continuously feed into that. Or the, the, the myth of the ride or die chick. Because we were told 
that we were that person, we keep feeding it, brushing aside the trauma that it comes with. So I was, I was wondering, you know, why, why are people feel so strongly against therapy, against seeking help when, we, you know, the grandfather says that at some point he says, maybe if we did talk about our issue earlier on, we wouldn't be where we are today. Exactly. You know, so I thought... Um, and it's interesting because even uh, like a pop culture reference, Cardi B recently made a, made a comment, I guess, with all the infidelity that had been going on with her and Offset, Offset had suggested for them to go to therapy, and she's actually the one who said no. Like, how is someone going to come into my house and tell me how to, like, you mm. know, conduct my relationship? And it was, like, it's very interesting that, you know, the person who's causing the pain is saying, hey, let's do therapy, and it's almost like you're taking it as a personal attack when right. maybe you should be listening to that because he's the one who's actually out here not really doing what he's supposed to be doing. So maybe there's things that he might want to talk about yeah. in therapy that he can't talk about with you or he yes. it might be a safe space for him. But instead, we see it as a dig to our self-esteem and, you know, someone in my household and you're going to know my business and it becomes yeah. this thing that it's really not and then you really kind of take away from what it's supposed to be able to remedy. It's really pride. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You're, you, you're embarrassed of mm -hmm. what somebody will say, think when it's literally their job to, to help neutral, you. Yeah. And you think it makes you look weak. Again, that's all pride. If you were to take away your pride and just look into things and see, well, some, there's something dysfunctional here and there's a professional who can help us sort it out, let's do it. But... And I've been to therapy. I actually go to therapy. And I've never had a therapist that's ever told me what to do. So right? I've never had that experience. Yeah. So if anyone's out there that has thought about it and they're not sure or, you know, you kind of have the same thoughts too. Like, it's it's not what you're thinking. Give it an, a chance. You'll mm -hmm. be surprised. Yeah. It's really more you just self, you know, realizing things on your own. Mm -hmm. But I've never had a therapist tell me what to do ever, not once. And it's so funny, sometimes they're like cartoons or like jokes, basically. Like you go to the, you go to see a, a psychologist and you're like, I don't know what to do, what should I do? And the psychologist is like, well, what do you think you should do? Exactly. <laughs> and they're like, yo, I'm paying you $250 per session for you to tell me like what I should do. What am I here for? So you're absolutely right. It's true, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. Talk. They so want you to funny. figure it out. <laughs> you know, we talked about it before. Self-love. Self-care. Yeah. You know, today, wellness is an industry. Absolutely. Okay? So I like, need to tap into it because girl, I'm tired. <laughs> I am so tired, y'all. Oh, my gosh. But there's a lot of conversation <laughs> about what self-love is and how you should um, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then we see Queenie go through therapy and how little by little she gets better. When you think about wellness, what does it mean to you? Wellness to me is just, you know, the act of kind of taking yourself away and separating yourself from the things that cause stresses and dedicating time to whatever it is that you love. So self-care and wellness can really look like anything to anybody. Right. But as long as it's something that creates a sense of peace and happiness exactly. and stability in your mind, to me, that's a form of wellness. For me, mental, um, like, peace that's exactly is a huge it. thing for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly yeah. my answer as well. Mm -hmm. If I'm not at peace, then I'm not well. 
And wellness to me is continuously seeking peace in my spirit, in my mind, in my body. I also feel it immediately when I'm not well. Mm -hmm. I'll feel it. I'll know it. And then sometimes you don't want to acknowledge it, so you start acting up. Um, But exactly what you said. For me, it's when uh, seeking peace at all times. Another big part of the book, which happens quite at the same time, but um, Queenie is... She works for a newspaper and she wants to push through important stories for her, such as Black Lives Matter. And she even attends a protest. She does, yeah. And she's vocal about it. She... She's hesitant at first to go to the protest, though. And I thought (laughs) the note I put was, Queenie is putting her body through dangerous situations all while protesting for the lives of black bodies. While you're marching for the the collective as an individual, Mm -hmm. you're doing the total opposite of what you're marching for. But I thought that was... um, Almost like a martyr in a way. Yeah. But in a way that doesn't benefit anyone else. Yeah. (laughs) Or yourself. Or yourself. (laughs) And... um, I, I, I think it's great that she was trying to pitch her stories to her boss. I She's very brave mm-hmm. for that. To be honest, a lot of people would, would sit quietly to keep a job and, you know, not really want to voice their opinion or create the kind of article she was trying to create. So I will definitely say that's where you see a bit of her resilience mm-hmm. um, and dedication in what she believes in. And the fact that she doesn't just try once. Yeah. She tries a couple of times mm-hmm. despite her boss saying dismissing entirely the whole idea. Um so I like that. I really enjoy that and perhaps that's a glimpse of the future queenie of the mm-hmm. queen that's always been there but hasn't had a chance to shine through. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was exciting for her. But I also love the way that the author, I thought she did it brilliantly the way that she you know what throughout the book she's very she gives everybody an authentic voice so in that setting where queenie is pitching at first to her boss and at another time she's in a room full of her co-workers and she's pitching the, the idea and the reaction from people who call themselves liberals right they're all progressive and yet you don't want to run a paper on actual facts about black bodies being murdered uh-huh. at a disproportionate rate by cops in America. I thought the way that the dialogue went, the uh-huh. way that she described the scene, I thought it was perfect because that's exactly how it goes in real life. That is exactly how it goes in real life. It's not always in your face. I think a lot of people think racism or prejudice is like really overt. Uh-huh. It's actually a lot of time very subtle. It's trying to silence you, right? Or trying to say it's too hard, it's too difficult. Oh, people don't want to read about that. People Mm want to be distracted. These are all ways to like distract from the message you're really trying to push through. So kudos to Candace. I thought that was very well executed. And you're right about it happening in day-to-day life because a video that um, I I think I told you I was going to send you and I think that we should both watch it and talk about it on the podcast um, is Vice came out with a video and it had about, I want to say 10, eight to 10 women on a panel. And, uh, some of them, they're all from different backgrounds. There's a Muslim woman, black woman, trans woman, white woman, um, far left woman, right wing woman. Uh, and some of them identify as feminists. Some of them don't. And they're talking about like, you know, social issues and, all these women are supposed to be, you know, feminist in a way or liberal in in some aspect. And they start talking about trans rights. Mm. And, 
you know, they ask a question and they ask people to raise their hand and then they ask people to explain why they why they raised their hand to either agree or why they didn't. And when they ask the question about trans rights for trans women, um, in terms of like, do you feel like trans women? I'm not, don't quote me on the question, but the question was alluding to something like, do you feel like trans women should have, you know, the same rights or they don't get the same rights? And the woman that didn't put up their hand, when they were asked to speak up about why not, the floor was quiet. Mm -hmm. And it was like, so you have an opinion enough to say that these women don't, you know, shouldn't have these rights or, but now that you're, the spotlight is on you, you progressive liberal woman Mm. to give your opinion. You're not saying anything. Mind you, this is a panel where these women cannot stop speaking over one another because the topics are so juicy and hot and everyone wants a voice. And I loved it. But when it came to trans conversations, Mm -hmm. it was like a needle. And when you're four, and and one of the women actually mentioned that, it's easy to be liberal and progressive when it's not in your face and you don't have to respond to it. But the moment we need a reaction and we need a response, mm-hmm. that's when you really see mm-hmm. what side of the fence people are on. Oh, for sure. So that's absolutely. very interesting. Yeah, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. That's very interesting. And I also think sometimes progressive liberals take on too much. <laughs> yeah. Y'all take on stuff you don't even understand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Pro this, pro that, pro this. Do you actually know what you're pushing? Do you know actually know what you're advocating for? Do you actually really understand their struggle? Or are you just saying that? Because it sounds good. It's cool to be a progressive. It's cool to be liberal. And I call that a performance. Mm. You're literally only performing. Because when it's time for you to give me the juice, you don't have none. Yeah. Right? So you're out here saying pro-trans, pro-trans. And yet, do you have you ever spoken to a trans person? Yeah. Do you actually know what they go through on the daily? Do you know what they face? Do you actually understand their struggle? No. And why are you backing up an idea you have no idea about? No idea about. It's very interesting, these liberals, because I find that oftentimes they're actually working against the idea that they're pushing and where they're supposed to be our ally when you're actually faced with a situation where you should come by my side. Yeah, you don't show up. And a part of it is that you don't really know how to. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't do your you research. Didn't do research. You're just proclaiming things. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And it's funny you say that because on Instagram, on Bookstagram, it's really big. Pro black authors. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Finger snaps. <laughs> and then you, I read, there was a big thing at one point. This girl read Beloved by yes. Toni Morrison. And, um,. She was basically saying, it was too much. It's too much. It's too too violent, too too much from for me. I couldn't handle this book. And everybody basically, well, I don't know if I should say everybody, but a lot of people were like, white tears, right? This is white fragility at its best because you feel like it's too it's too hard for your soft heart, whereas she's actually depicting a reality that a lot of women went through. At those, yeah. during those times right and they didn't have a choice yeah and another thing with tony we'll get into it when we we read her book right and we really talk about her but um tony doesn't necessarily write to make you feel comfortable and that's the oh. whole point if you read it, like there that. are books there are books just to like you know get your mind off of things just beautiful sometimes uplifting you know 
Yeah. It's uh, to divert you, to entertain you. And then there are novels, real novels to take you someplace else. else some, a novel made to make you feel an experience that you, on a normal day, would never Absolutely. experience. And so you have to meet the author. Yes. You can't just be catered to. Exactly. Yeah. And how is your mind going to grow if you're it's only true. being fed? You also have to like give in to what the author is trying to teach you. Surrender. Exactly. Yeah. So, back to Queenie. I thought, uh, overall, um, I thought the book was, I thought it was a good book. I thought it was well written. Again, I loved Candace, the way that she gave a voice to each one of the characters. And it felt true. It felt authentic. Um, I love Queenie. I think Queenie, as much as I felt like it was a lot for one person, I think a lot of women can see parts of themselves in some way or the other. I think we're, we've all been guilty of self-sabotaging at one point. Um, it's just that Queenie, hers is maybe exaggerated. Just I don't know if I should say exaggerated, but hers is, is strong. <laughs> I'm yes. just saying. And, um, Which could be a reflection of her trauma because her yes. mom's not there and her father neither. So mm-hmm. it's a lot. So I um I would recommend the book. Also, the cover of the book is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. Just even as just art, mm-hmm. you guys should grab the book. Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And then and, and the context, you know, inside is is amazing. It's worthy of a it's read. Worthy of a read. I I enjoyed it too. I would say overall, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. It was uh it was a book that every so often I was like, oh my gosh, oh gosh, like it kind of chartered a reaction mm-hmm. and I like when books can do that with yeah. me so yeah it's definitely a thumbs up on my end so there you have it that was our review of Queenie by Candace Cardi Williams if you guys have read it let us know your thoughts follow us on Miss Red Podcast on IG give us your comments um, interact with us we'd love to hear your thoughts yeah and see you for the next episode